passage this morning is Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and great was the ruin of that house. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray together. Almighty God, as we approach your holy word this morning, may you help us to be not just hearers of your word, but also doers of your word, and so thereby reveal that we are true disciples. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, through the power of your spirit to hear, to listen carefully what you would say to us this morning from this passage, and that you would help us also by the work of your spirit, Lord, to obey you, to obey all of your word, not just the parts that are easy for us to follow, but even the more difficult parts, the parts that, that reach into the depths of our hearts. Lord, I pray that by hearing and obeying you, Lord, we will reveal ourselves again as true disciples for the glory of your name and for the advance of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that always amazed me when I lived in Australia was the sand. There's sand everywhere. There's sand that's as white as snow on the beaches, and there's red sand in the outback. There are huge islands made entirely out of sand. Sand, sand, sand. The Gold Coast, the city that I lived in, was built entirely on a floodplain made up of, you guessed it, sand. There's one 32-story high-rise building in Surfer's Paradise that is leaning visibly because it is built on a sand foundation. I occasionally wondered what it would look like if a big tsunami were to hit the Gold Coast. The city, I believe, would be scraped clean of any evidence of human habitation. I'm sure you remember the horrific images of the 2011 tsunami in Japan with houses sliding across the landscape into the ocean with the force of the water and miles of devastation. There were close to 16,000 deaths, over 6,000 injured, and still over 2,500 still listed as missing. This is the power of a flood. In the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus is speaking about true versus false disciples. True disciples are blessed. False disciples are cursed. True disciples love even their enemies, whereas false disciples do not love. True disciples aren't judgmental. False disciples are judgmental. True disciples carefully judge their teachers and rigorously judge themselves, whereas false disciples do not, are not careful in who they take as teachers, and they rigorously and scrutinize and judge others. Well, here in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49, we see that true disciples hear and obey Jesus. 
Whereas false disciples might hear Jesus, but they do not obey Jesus. Remember last week we saw that there are two kinds of fruit from two kinds of trees, revealing two kinds of hearts, revealed by two kinds of words. Well, today we'll see that there are two foundations. There are two men and one flood. And that when that flood comes, there will be those that stand and those that fall. And the house that stands is the house that is built on the rock. The person who hears Jesus' words and does them. So this morning we're going to see that there are two men, the obedient and the disobedient. Two foundations, the firm and the false. That there is one flood, but two destinies. So first of all, the two men, the obedient and the disobedient. Jesus tells us in this parable that there are two men building houses. Again, one is obedient and the other is disobedient. In the parallel passage from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus refers to the obedient man as wise and to the disobedient man as a fool. Well, first let's look at the obedient man. Jesus says in in Luke 6, 46 to 48, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So you see that initially here from verse 46, that the person is saying that Jesus is his Lord, but he's proving that Jesus is not his Lord because he is not obedient. The one who has Jesus as Lord not only hears, but obeys. And not only hears, but obeys in some things, but hears and obeys in all things. Jesus continues, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Do you want to be a wise builder? Do you want to be a true disciple? Dig down deep. In order to be a wise builder and a true disciple, there are three things you must do. You must Come to Jesus, you must hear his words, and you must do his words. So first of all, come to Jesus. Remember, there were many people who were present when Jesus preached this sermon, the Sermon on the Plain. There are people from all over Israel, even people from outside Israel, entire and side. And we saw that in Luke 6, 17. And so all of these people had come to Jesus in one sense. They'd come to Jesus for a variety of reasons. They'd come to, to hear this famous preacher. They'd come to be healed. They'd come to experience and witness for themselves Jesus' power. They were physically present with Jesus. But how many of them had truly come to Jesus? Coming to Jesus physically, coming to Jesus in your body is not enough. You have to come to Jesus in spirit. How many of these people had really come to Jesus for salvation? It's like coming to church. You might be physically present in the building, and I trust that next week there will be many who will be physically present in the building, but are you spiritually part of the body? Are you spiritually part of the body? Beloved, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is 
through him. John 14, 6. So do you want to enter life? You can only get there by coming to Jesus. Next, you hear his words. Listen to what Jesus has to say. Do you hear Jesus' words today? Are you listening to Jesus' words? Well, we hear Jesus' words through his word, through all of his word. Now, there are, there are some Bibles that have the words of Jesus in red. These, I, I don't think these red-letter Bibles are particularly helpful because they, they intrinsically draw a false distinction between God's word through Jesus in the Gospels and the rest of God's word. If you're going to have a red-letter Bible, then all of the words should be read, R-E-D, and all of the words must be read, R-E-A-D. Read your Bible. It's all God's word. But don't just read your Bible. Study your Bible. Spend time thinking about what this word tells you about who God is and about who you are in him. Think about the eternal truth of this passage of scripture that you're studying and think about the present application of that to you. You can also hear Jesus' words by listening to biblical preaching. And so I praise God that, that you come and you want to hear God's word. And if I were to drift from God's word in any way in what I'm presenting, that there would be a lineup of people coming to challenge me about it. And I appreciate, I greatly appreciate the fact that, that so many of you are, are striving to listen to faithful preachers throughout the week as you listen to and you download other sermons. But reading God's word, reading the Bible and, and listening to good preachers, faithful preachers, isn't good enough. Again, there are many people who are gathered there when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Plain. Many came to hear him, Luke 6, 18. Many of them would even claim to be disciples. But precious few were really disciples. Precious, precious few were truly disciples. So you must come to Jesus, you must hear his words, and you must do what Jesus says. You have to do what the Bible says. You know, I think about um, Thomas Jefferson. You may have heard of the Thomas Jefferson Bible. Now, Thomas Jefferson was, I think, the third president of the United States. And, but what he did is he had a Bible, and he'd, he'd taken, uh, he had actually taken a knife and cut out all the passages that he didn't agree with. Apparently, the Thomas Jefferson Bible is still in the presidential library in the White House. And, and you could, if you could have access to it, you could look it up and see that it's full of holes. The issue for Thomas Jefferson wasn't just they didn't want to hear what God's word was saying to him. He didn't want to do what God's word was saying to him. And so he was setting himself above God's word. He was saying that he is God. I wonder how many of us even though we would never have the audacity to cut out passages of Scripture if we, if we skip things that we don't feel comfortable with, or we skim over them, or we, we fail to not just to hear, but to, to obey the things that are challenging to our hearts. 
You have to do what the Bible says, all of what the Bible says. I mentioned earlier in a previous message about Psalm 19, the longest chapter in the entire Bible, and almost every single verse is about the Word of God, the promises and the precepts that are in the Scriptures and how they apply to us. Almost every single verse is speaking about the glories of God's word and not just hearing God's word, but hiding God's word in, his, in your heart and obeying God's word. This principle is seen all over the place in the scriptures. And, and earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6.15, Jesus says, If you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Jesus is, saying that, that God's, Jesus is not saying that God's forgiveness upon you is conditional on your forgiveness of others, but he's saying that if you have been forgiven by God, then your forgiveness will be demonstrated. You will be the kind of person that forgives others. Jesus will enable you to do it. If you, he's saying if you don't forgive others, then you don't know God's forgiveness. Or Matthew twelve fifty, whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother. You want to be the Lord Jesus' brother, so you obey your Father in heaven. Or in John 8, verses 30 and 31, after Jesus has been teaching about his relationships with the Father and his role as the Messiah, we read that he was saying these things, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So merely saying that you believe in Jesus, merely saying that he is your Lord, is not enough. True belief and true discipleship are demonstrated in those who abide in God's word. True disciples don't just listen. The true disciple does. The true disciple does. I'm so excited for us to return to fellowship together for many reasons, but very high on this list is because of the depth of fellowship that I see growing in this church. I see that the majority of people are not just just chatting about the weather and chatting about sports, but they're talking about real things. But they're also not just, just talking about biblical truths, they're talking about about the way that those truths apply to their lives. They're not just speaking about theology and and abstract theological concepts, but how those abstract theological concepts become concrete and they become real as we walk through the day-to-day of life. I see people who are being shaped and molded by the word as they speak God's words to each other and as they spur each other on to love and good deeds. Hebrews 10, 24. So we praise God for the obedience that he is working in this body. So we see this in the depth of fellowship that he is creating. Well, now we're talking, that was the obedient man. Well, now let's think about the obedient man, the disobedient man. He hears what Jesus says, but he doesn't do what Jesus says. He hears what Jesus says, but he doesn't do what Jesus says. Again, Jesus calls such people foolish. Now we have to be very careful calling people fools. Jesus warned in Matthew 5, 22, whoever says to someone, you fool, is in danger of the fire of hell. 
But there Jesus is warning about the, the judgmental and proud heart that, that we see has just been warned about here. The one that is full of, of self-righteousness and of, of condemning others. And then it comes, down, comes out in insults. So we have to be very careful in calling someone a fool, but it's not always wrong to call someone a fool. Jesus did it. King David did it. King Solomon did it. The Apostle Paul did it. Proverbs alone uses the term fool 71 times. An atheist, according to Scripture, is a fool. Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But you might be saying, well, this person that's in view here isn't denying God's existence. Because he's, he's even calling Jesus Lord. But the disobedient man is a fool because although he's saying that Jesus is Lord with his mouth, he is demonstrating that he has not submitted to Jesus as Lord. He may not be saying there is no God, but he's acting like there is no God. He's, he may even be listening to the words of Jesus, but he's not doing the words of Jesus. He's living life as a practical atheist, and he is therefore, by definition, a fool. The prophet Jeremiah leveled this indictment on the people of Israel. For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise in doing evil. But how to do good, they know not. Jeremiah 4.22 May this never be spoken of us. James 1, 22 to 24 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Imagine being foolish enough to look at yourself in the mirror and then walk away and forget what you look like. Well, that's how foolish it is to hear what Jesus says and to not do what Jesus says. Years ago, I had a housemate who knew a lot of theology. His theology was sound. He believed the right things. And this man actually taught me quite a bit. He, he could sit down and he could debate you on most topics in the scriptures. But all the while, there was something in his life that didn't seem to add up. His life didn't seem to be changing. He didn't seem to be growing. And we've stayed in contact over the years. And I was dismayed, but not surprised, to see that he had drifted first into the emergent church relativism and social gospel philosophy. And he had sunk even further into New Age philosophy. And I tried to talk to him about these things, but he wouldn't listen. Now, I have had some... In more encouraging correspondence with him recently, but he's still influenced by some really bad teaching. And I pray for him that he will prove to be not just a hearer, but a doer of God's word. Friends, it is far too easy to hide behind theology and to not be real with Jesus or real with each other. 
I said, I see this growing in our church that we're not just talking about these, these concepts. I was, had a conversation with somebody earlier today and saying, you can, you can use talking about theology in the abstract as like, a, as, as, as like a barrier to keep you from getting too close. But when it gets real is when you begin to apply it to yourself. Now, don't get me wrong. I love theology. But it's not enough to talk about it. You have to do it. We are all theologians. And what we believe is what we do. If you don't practice what you preach, you're demonstrating that you do not really believe what you are saying. I can tell you over and over again how important it is to wear a helmet when you're snowboarding. But if you see me on the slopes without a helmet, then you know what I really think about helmets. We're demonstrating the reality of our profession by not just saying that Jesus is our Lord, but by submitting to Him as Lord. So now let's discuss the two foundations, the firm and the false. We're all building houses. And our houses might look very similar from the ground up. But the question is, what foundation are they built on? That's what really matters when the floods come. They're either built on the rock or they're built without a foundation. During the hot summer, the sand around the Sea of Galilee would, would, be, would bake and would, be, would become hard on the surface. The ground appeared solid, but when the winter rains came and when the, the, the waters rose, the water would wash away any house that was not dug down deep was not built on a solid foundation. And so a wise builder would dig several feet below the surface down to the bedrock to lay a foundation for the house. Now it's much easier to build a house just on the surface, isn't it? You could think, well, there hasn't been a flood here in so long, so maybe it'll be okay. Hopefully it'll be okay. But the flood will come. The flood will come and reveal whether your foundation is firm or whether your foundation is false. I talked about the, the sand foundation on the Gold Coast. Well, for a, a season while I was there, I didn't live on the sand. I lived actually on the water. I lived on a houseboat. And when I first moved onto the houseboat, I was conscious of the constant rocking, gentle rocking back and forth. And it became just something that was so familiar to me, this, this rocking back and forth. So it was, it was normalized. I was used to being on a very weak foundation. But what happened was when I would then go to work and sit at my desk on land, I would feel like I was rocking back and forth. I'd become so used to being on a weak foundation that I didn't know what it was like to be on a stable foundation. And people are like that, aren't they? They get used to living life on an unstable foundation. And so when they hear the objective, authoritative truth of the Word of God, it feels foreign to them. It, it feels like it, it doesn't make any sense. The, so the stable to them feels unstable because they've been, they've been rocked to sleep with the, the gentle but continual ebb and flow of the world's siren song. Hearing and not doing reveals that the house has no foundation. It reveals that it is not built on anything solid. 
Do you want a solid foundation? Build on the rock. Build on the rock. When we think about the biblical theology of rocks, we see rocks all through the scriptures. And I believe that, that ultimately Jesus is speaking about here, when he speaks about building on the rock, is building on himself. He's not just talking about building code. Please turn with me in your scriptures to uh, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, verses 13 to 18. This is one of the, the clearest testimonies of who Jesus is in the Gospels. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am, the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for the flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That rock is Christ. He is the foundation of the church, and he must be the foundation of your house if your house is going to withstand the flood. In Exodus chapter 17, when the children of Israel were grumbling for a lack of water, Moses struck the rock and water came out. The rock was a type or a picture that pointed forward to Christ. Like the Passover lamb was a type or a picture that points to Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Corinthians 10.4 said, For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. The rock pointed to the crucifixion when the, the, when the soldier thrust the spear into Jesus' side and the blood and the water came out. Later in Exodus 33, Moses wanted to see the glory of God, but no one can see God and live, so, he, so God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock, and so his glory passed by. Again, the, the rock is, this is not allegorical, this is actually what a, a type, so this is something that, that builds in in understanding and starts in shadows and then becomes clearer and clearer as we go into the New Testament that Jesus Christ is the rock. And so we will put our faith in Jesus Christ, are safe in the rock, so that we can stand before the glory of God. It's all over your Bible. Turn your Bibles, please, to Psalm 18. Psalm 18. Verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And then down in verse 18. Sorry, down in verse 31. For who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? And verse 46. As the Lord lives, blessed and blessed be my rock, and be exalted the God of my salvation. Jesus Christ is the rock. Romans 9.33 quotes Isaiah 8.14, referring to Jesus as the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Paul writes, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 
Not whoever believes in it, but in him. Peter quotes Isaiah as well in 1 Peter 2, 7 and 8. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He says they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone that we read about in Ephesians chapter 2. The one who is the, the cornerstone who sets the foundation for the house. And then the foundation comes on from there, the apostles and the prophets. And so it is built on the word of God with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. But, and so again, the one who hears, it is not the one just who hears but the one who hears and obeys reveals that his house is built on the rock. And when the flood comes, and it will come, the type of foundation will be revealed. Well, finally, let's see that there is one flood and two destinies. One flood and two destinies. Again, in our passage, there are two foundations and two houses and two destinies, but there is one flood. Look at verse 48. The flood arose and the stream broke against it and could not shake it. And verse 49, because of the same flood, the stream broke against it and it fell because it had no foundation. There is a flood coming. Both the wise and the foolish builder faced, builder faced the flood. We're all going to, at some point, get that phone call in the middle of the night with bad news. We're all going to face our own mortality if the Lord tarries. Those who are hearers of the word but not doers of the word will not have a leg to stand on because they're standing alone, because their house is not built on the firm foundation. It is not built on the rock. We're facing a flood at the moment, aren't we? A flood that six months ago wasn't even on our radar. We're facing the, the, the reality of a, a global pandemic. And when this first started to happen, we didn't really know what was going to be the, the end result of how bad it was going to be or, or how far it was going to spread. We still don't know that. We still have, have no clue whether they'll ever come up with a vaccine or, or whether this is going to be something that's going to become part of regular life for the rest of our lives. And because of there have also been, because of the reaction to it, there's also been a flood. We saddened to see how many businesses don't reopen at the end of this. How many people are, are facing bankruptcy because, they're, they, because of the, the regulations that have been put down? So, how will your house stand in this flood? By hearing and obeying. God in his word. So we've sought in, in order, to, in order to, to try to lead the church through this time, we've, been, we've gravitated towards key passages like, like 1 Peter 2 verses 11 to 17 and trying to understand and apply our, our responsibilities towards God in this circumstance and under every circumstance. We, we've considered passages like Philippians 4 verses 4 to 9. Looking at both the, the, let's just go there for a moment to Philippians chapter 4. And I've, I've spoken to a, a couple of people um, this week about this passage. It's, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Philippians 4 verses 4 to 9. I, I won't read the whole thing. But this, this passage is made up of imperatives. And it's made up of promises. 
So this first, this rejoice in the Lord, it's, it's a, a present active imperative. This is something that should be a daily, regular occurrence. Rejoicing in the Lord always. And he, Peter or Paul repeats it. Again, I'll say rejoice. That's an imperative. That's a command. So how do you withstand the flood? By hearing and obeying the word of God. By rejoicing the Lord. It's one of the ways that you will stand in the flood. And then continues from there. Another imperative. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And then the next, the next we actually see is a, we see a promise. The Lord is at hand. So now as we, we hear the word of God and we, and we apply, we obey the word of God, we have this promise that comes to us. The Lord is at hand. And then another imperative, don't be anxious, but pray. Right? In verse 6. And then another promise, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So again, we have imperative promise, imperative promise. Another imperative, verses, uh, verse 8 and beginning of verse 9. Meditating on what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy. Meditating on these things. This is a command that you need to hear and you need to obey. And then it continues. And to, to, to follow, as Paul says here, to follow in his footsteps as he follows Christ. And another promise. And the God of peace will be with you. So, Again, this is a practical application of the way that, that you can hear the word of God and do the word of God and receive the blessing of the promises of the word of God. Because as you, you seek, you can't focus on, on all the, the, the details that we don't really know. We, we commend ourselves to God's presence and God's providence. We pray and we seek wise counsel and we act and seek to obey what we hear from God's word. Just one practical example. There are many others in Scripture. But personally, one of the ways, one of the ways and places that I go when I'm in the midst of a trial is to go to the Psalms. The, the Psalms are, are a great and glorious way that you can hear and do God's word. Remember several months ago when the, the night that, that our dog Alaska died. And this maybe doesn't seem like a big flood to you, but to, to me and to our family, it was, it was hard. It was painful. And I woke up in the middle of the night unable to sleep. And I felt like I was on shaking ground. Like I just, I, I felt just imbalanced. I felt, I felt like I was like on my ship and on my houseboat, but not just, not just in, the, in the gentle waves, but actually rocking back and forth in a storm. And so I knew I was going to sleep anyway, so I just got up and, and opened up the Psalms and began to read. And almost as soon as I sat down to read the Word of God, I felt like I was grounded again on the rock as I was preaching truth to myself and committing these things to, 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 to God to obey Him in what He was telling me to do in His Word. So again, there, there, are, there are two destinies, but there is one storm. There's one storm. We have these, these individual squalls and things that, that happen, these, these floods that, that, that take place periodically in our lives because we live as sinful people in a sinful and fallen world. 
But in seeking to hear and obey the word of God, we're looking not to the external circumstances, but we're looking to the eternal God and to his word. And we're committing ourselves before God to to obey him and to trust in his promises. And so there is a promise here in this passage. And it doesn't doesn't jump off the page at you, but it it is right here. When the flood arose, the stream broke against that house, but it could not shake it because it had been well built. Now, some, some manuscripts say that it'd be, it'd been, like it says in Matthew, um, grounded on the, founded on the rock or built on the rock. The house that is built on the rock, the one who hears and obeys the word of God, will not even be shaken by the storm, by the flood. And here, what Jesus is speaking about is not, is again, not these these periodic floods. This isn't a a one in a hundred, once in a hundred year, a once in a thousand year flood. This is a once in eternity flood. As big as the trials of life are, those, all those floods are small compared to the big flood that's coming. There is a flood that is going to flood the whole earth and not like the flood of water that, that destroyed the earth, but a flood of fire, a flood where, where every man and woman and child will come out of that flood and will stand before God. Turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on the right, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, and, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you in sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, As you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they also will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do to the one of the least of these, you did not do to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There are two destinies, but there is only one flood. Those who have rejected Jesus and have rejected his words by hearing but not doing his words will try to hide themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, 
Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Revelation 6, 15 and 16. But for those who hear and obey Jesus and in so doing demonstrate that they are true disciples. Again, they're not, they're not making themselves disciples by hearing and obeying, but they're proving themselves to be disciples by hearing and obeying. Those who are true disciples will be welcomed into heaven. They will be the righteous who are welcomed into eternal life with Jesus. There is a flood coming. And this flood will make anything else that we will ever face in this life pale in comparison. Some of us may be spared that flood by going home before it comes, but come it will. And your only hope to stand in that flood and your only hope to stand as one of those who will go before Jesus at the time of the great dividing into either the eternal destiny of hell or the eternal destiny of heaven with Christ is to be a true disciple, one who hears and obeys the Lord Jesus. Will your house stand or will your house fall? Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we praise you for your word, for your word is truth. Help us, Lord, to receive your truth, not just as abstract principles, but as the very words of life. Help us, Lord, to hear you, to listen intently to your voice, for your sheep hear your voice, and your sheep obey your voice. Help us, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit to be hearers and doers of your word. Help us, Lord, to demonstrate through the way that we live our lives that we are truly your disciples. Help us, I pray, to be among those whose house stands when the flood comes. We pray this in Jesus' name.